Um, let's go ahead and open with a prayer. Lord Jesus, we just come before you. We thank you, Lord, for the, your spirit to move in us, to, to work in us, Lord. I just pray that, it, that this message will not be a message from BK, because that would not be a good thing, Lord. I just pray that it can be just spirit-filled and can be glorified through you, and, and that it can just be received in the hearts and minds of, of the people that need to hear it, Lord. I just ask us all in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today's message is all about the Father's love. And I've titled it, No, I Am Your Father. N-O. That's a good idea, though. I like that. It could also be K-N-O-W, and it works really well with the sermon. That's awesome. So, today... We will cover characteristics of God and the opposite earthly examples. Uh, We're going to cover God adopting us into his family. And then last thing we're going to cover is what we should do about it. So let's just get all of the dad jokes out of the way now, shall we? All right, I got a couple of them prepared. It's kind of the white flag tradition. They're all fantastic, I promise. All right, so why did the chicken cross the road? To get the Chinese newspaper. Do you get it? Neither do I. I get the Denver Post. I used to have a job at the calendar factory, but I got fired because I kept taking a couple days off. This one is one of my personal favorites. Two guys walk into a bar. The third one ducks. I like that one. All right, so I asked my dad for his best dad joke ever, and you know what his response was? You. It was brutal. Trauma. All right. I got that out of my system. Let's get out our Bibles. We'll dive into God's Word. So, Sean asked me about a month ago if I would teach today's message. And that's usually about how long I need to get a message together uh, with my schedule and stuff. Um, But the whole time that I'm praying and researching on this message, God just constantly had this song in my heart. I was like, God, what does my message need to be on today? What do you want me to preach for, you know, what word do you have for the congregation? And he just kept saying, fatherly love, fatherly love, fatherly love. I'm like, okay, I I can pray about it, I can work on that. So as I'm praying about it, he put the song, um, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, That He Should Give His Only Son, to make a wretch his treasure. And that song was stuck in my head ever, as soon as God said that, you know, this is the message that you're going to teach on. So um, we'll come back around to this song in just a little bit, or, but I want you to stew on it for a, minute, for a minute. So it's how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he could give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Now, this study may get deeply personal for me, as I'm a father of three wonderful children. Um, For those of you who don't know, I have Brayden. He is four. Um, Inquisitive is a word that comes to mind when I think about this one. I've got Jackson, who's two and a half. Strong-willed is currently the term I would use. Not all the time, but man, when that boy digs in his heels, there's no moving him. You You are in for a fight when that boy decides to, you know, set his mind on something. Um, and then Aria, she's 10 months old. She's the littlest. Um, and Henri would be the word that I would describe that little pip. So 
the, uh, the two oldest boys um, are adopted, and my little girl is a miracle. Well, truth be told, they're all miracles, honestly. The fact that God would entrust me, a card-carrying nerd who literally titled his sermon after a Star Wars quote, three wonderful children to look after, that's the real miracle. But I tell you all this because studies have shown that characteristics have shown that our perception of, our, of God is based off of our perception of our earthly father. That's kind of what we project onto God. So, you know, if you have um, a dad that, you know, likes to make lots of exceptions and, and doesn't necessarily follow all of the rules that, that mom had said or that dad had said in or whatever it looks like, um, that's kind of how we perceive God. Like he's pretty, you know, lackadaisical and goes with the flow. But um, then you have the, the dad who's, you know, maybe this is how it's done. It's my way or the highway. There's nothing, you know. Then you kind of more have that vindictive God thought in your mind. And we're going to get into that a little bit more today. Um, but I think about that a lot while I'm parenting. Because parenting, if it's a full-time job. It really is. There's no stopping being a parent. You're always doing it. Even at 6 o'clock in the morning on daylight savings time when your son randomly wanders into your room and you're like, oh, you're awake. Okay, well, let's go back to bed. It's, it just never ends. Um, and so I always have to think, how will this decision portray God to my little ones? How is my reaction to them going to portray God and going to project the image of God to them? So let's dive into what the Bible says about God. The Bible gives him nine attributes. Um, I have the verses that go along with these, but we're not going to turn there today. I've got other verses that we'll turn to little. Um, I'll try to go slow so that you can jot them down, because like I said, I have nine of them. If, if I go too fast on this part, come see me after. I'd be happy to give you what these specific verses are. So um, the first attribute that the Bible has is that God will never forsake you. And that can be found in Psalm 27.10. The next attribute, God will be a father to you. That's referenced in Psalm 68, 5. God is our father and we are his kids. That's in 1 John 3, 1. God is gracious. That's Exodus 33, 19. God is gentle, Hosea 11.4. God gives us good gifts, James 1.17. I got told to slow down, so I'm going to. God is compassionate, Psalm 103.14. God protects us, Psalm 61, 1. God gives us direction, including discipline, Hebrews 12, 5. All of these attributes show us how much our Father in Heaven cares for us. It's the perfect portrayal of what He is as a Father. So let's think about that song I read just a minute ago. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure. So 
maybe your picture of God is that he's a hothead God just waiting to punish us for our sins. The only reason he doesn't or can't is because of Jesus. You can't get your head around his deep love for you. I want to show you two verses in the Old Testament. Yep, that's right. The Old Testament, you know, that righteous, vindictive, I'm going to smite you kind of God. Did you know that in the Old Testament, the God used the word smite or smote over 200 times? I thought that was super interesting. So let's see what the Bible says about his love for the people. So we're going to turn to Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. For why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, Turn and live. Now, just a couple pages over, you're going to see Ezekiel 33, verse 11. Say to them, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? So to me, these verses clearly describe a God who does not delight in the death of the wicked. I know some earthly fathers who just wait for their kid to screw up. Sorry. I know some earthly fathers who just wait for their kids to screw up so that they can bring the righteous judgment down upon them. As soon as they're just waiting, like, all right, as soon as he's he's not perfect, as soon as he does something wrong, that's when I'm going to be able to spank some correction into him or that's when I'm going to be able to discipline some correction into him. But that's not God's heart at all. That's not the heart that God wants on these kids and wants to be portrayed through the fatherly example. So think about the story of Jonah. God showed us so much mercy to every single person in that story. We start off with a man who thought he could hide from God. Now, we know what happened to him. He thought he could hide from God. He ran away. God's like, no, you're not going to run away from me. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to correct you. But he did it in a loving way. He did it in not, not a spiteful, I'm going to, you know, smote you and squish you down with my thumb. It's, I'm going to redirect your path and give you some time to think about the choice that you just made. Um, so then, you know, he takes his correction. He goes to Nineveh, to the Gentile city, who's in 
blatant disobedience to the word. And God was showing compassion on them and showing love to them in the fact that he had Jonah go to that city and teach him. And they, same thing, they received the correction from the Lord, they turned around, they turned their heart around, and Noah went up, or Jonah went up to the top of the hill, and he sat and he waited on top of that hill, waiting for God to just rain fire down upon this city, who was actually an enemy of the Jews at the time. Um, and God, again, showed compassion on him there. Even though he hadn't learned everything, he hadn't got everything done, God was like, you know what, I love you as much as I love them. They've repented, they've turned their heart, so... I'm going to show you compassion. I'm not going to destroy the city. And and the story progresses from there. So clearly God loves us all, saint and sinner alike. But what does that love look like? The next two verses of the song help us answer that. uh, That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. So here we see the mercy of God. So do you think of God as a dictator? Maybe you had that kind of dad that I mentioned earlier that was more of the drill sergeant type. More of the march in formation to the car, don't break out of line if you, you know, this is how things are and this is what you need to do. If you got out of line, then bam, there was no compassion shown. It was just my way or the highway. Well, even in judgment, our God shows us mercy. Do you remember Abraham pleading with God over Sodom? Where did he start? How many people did he originally start at? Like, God, if you find X number of righteous, do you guys know what that number is? 50. He started at 50. Do you remember where he ends? Where he was just, where God allowed him to end? Five. Five. Sodom still couldn't make that, but it was still, even in God's righteous, justified anger, he still showed mercy. He still allowed him to go from 50 down to five to save this city. So God would save it for just five people. That to me, that to me shows mercy. Um, so we discussed a lot about God, compared him to some earthly examples of fathers, and proved that he is not this hot-headed, vindictive, spiteful, waiting for you to screw up drill sergeant. But maybe you're the kind of person who thinks, I don't deserve that kind of love. That can't be for me. That, that's got to be for somebody else who's better, somebody else who is more perfect than me or loves God more or something like that. So we're going to take a little bit of time. We're going to dive into that. Um, so let's look a little bit uh, in our next point about being adopted into God's family. Um, we're going to turn to Romans eight fourteen. So Romans 8:14 states For as many are for as many as are led by the spirit of God these are sons of God. Let's take a step back and think about what this really means. Verse 14 states You must be led of the Spirit of God. They are the sons of God. How do you be led by the Spirit of God? Faith and humility. That's the only way. That's the easiest way to be accessed into into the grace that he provides for us, into the 
you know, the, the free-flowing, continual grace. It's not just the grace. We talk about this every Sunday. We're probably going to continue to talk about it every Sunday until Jesus comes back because we really just need to be reminded of it every single week. So once we accept the faith and humility, only then can God's good work flow through you in such a way to glorify his kingdom. The remarkable part about that is that the Old Testament is littered with examples of faith and humility, of F and H. It's not just a New Testament thing. There's plenty of examples in the Old Testament of, of faith and humility. And we're going to look at one of them today. And that one is David. And he pictures it in 2 Samuel verse, or chapter 12. I just pulled out my sticky notes, and now I have to find it the old-fashioned way. Yes! But it's before Revelation. The Revelation. All right. So, 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin, and you shall not die. Now in this story, David did some pretty awful things. If you're interested in what those awful things are, I'd recommend that you read the chapter, because some of the things he did, you're just like, really? A child of God is doing this stuff? That's, that's just, this is not okay. And I look at that in my life, and I'm like, man, I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. Um, but let's see how God reacts to it. Let's see how God reacts to, to the humble heart. Um, so David did some pretty awful things, but his heart was receptive when the Lord spoke. So when the Lord was speaking, when the Lord was telling him through the prophet Nathan that he had done a terrible thing, that's, David received that correction. He didn't turn his blind eye to it. He didn't turn his back on it. He realized that he had screwed up, and he humbled himself to admit that he was wrong. David was led by the Spirit of God here. He was showing the faith and humility. Um, he shows great humility in admitting his sin, and even greater faith in accepting the consequence later in the chapter. Now, I'm always struck by David's response in this chapter because God's discipline for the action was that he's going to take the unborn child away from David. Um, I think the child was born at that point. So he was going to take that child from David. Um, David pleads with God, but look at verse 20. So chapter 13, verse 20 again. Thank you. Yep, chapter 12. There it is. So David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes, went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him and ate. His servants were afraid to even talk to him. When the child died, his servants were like, you do it, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it, you do it. He's going to kill us. His child just died. What are we going to do? But as soon as, so David saw him whispering and goes, huh, I know what that means. All right, God has, God can't, you know, he did what he said he was going to do. He, he's still righteous. God is going to do what he says he's going to do. He's going to come back. 
God is going to fulfill every promise that's written in this book. And David realized that. Like, all right, God did what he was going to do. So what did David do? Instead of being mad at God, well, I told you not to do this. I prayed that you wouldn't do this. And you didn't listen to this prayer that I had. Why didn't you listen to when I said I want you to save this child? What he did instead, he gets up, brushes off his clothes, takes a shower, puts on new clothes, and continues on his life exhibiting the faith and humility. Whatever God's correction, he took God's correction for the sin that he had made and he proceeded on. To me, that is an amazing example of faith. To just be able to, to realize what had happened and continue pressing on forward. I thought that was an incredible example. Um, so we're going to go back to the verse in Romans, Romans 8. <clears throat> we're going to be in verse 15 now. So Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but that you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now we are getting to the good stuff. So we have not received the bondage again to fear. This reminds me of a story of a couple of weeks back. My two boys were sitting at the dinner table um, they've been watching a lot of the movie Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory lately because they really like the opening scene with a giant smokestack. I don't know why, but they ask for the smokestack movie all of the time. So Brady's just kind of hanging out, talking, and looks over at Jackson with you know that, that sly little, little smirk and goes, Jackson, you're turning violet. Well, if you've ever seen the movie, spoiler alert, the little girl chews some gum turns violet, blows up into a blueberry, and has to be rolled away because she didn't obey and she didn't follow the rules. I have never seen more fear in a child's eyes than Jackson looking, I not turn violet, Daddy, I don't, I go to bed now. He was petrified. It was very endearing and very sad all at the same time, but he just had the most intense dread in his eyes anywhere and just starts crying. So I tell you this story, because the verse says, when you are led by the Spirit of God, you don't, have to have a, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to receive the spirit of fear. We can have hope in our eternal future through the blood of Christ. How? Well, the verse continues with that. It doesn't just stop there. It continues to add more and more. Um, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I love the picture that this creates. It's just fantastic to me. And we'll go into a little bit of detail about why. But as I mentioned before, my boys are gifts from God and the fact that they did not grow in my wife's belly, but they grew in her heart. I'm sure you guys might have heard that before. But I can remember going to the hospital for the very first time to pick up Brady. We were foster parents at the time, and we got the call that there was a newborn baby in need of a home. Well, as we were standing in the room... Emma, my wife, is holding this newborn baby tightly in her arms. The social worker comes in and asks, would we consider being a permanent option for this lovely little bundle? Well, you can guess what our reaction instantaneously was. That's right. Emma said yes. I said no. 
True story. It didn't take me long, of course, to warm up to him, to the idea that God wanted this bundle to be our forever child. At some point later, we went to the court and we made it official. Now, do you think at any point in that entire process of getting him that there was ever a thought in my mind that he was any less of my child? And I have to wait until it's official for him to be my child. Absolutely not. There's never a thought that crossed my mind that this child, that this baby was not my child. All of our foster kids, same exact concept. Some of them have been, you know, they've been returned and they've gone other places and stuff like that. But there's never been a doubt in my mind that these kids have not been my kids and are not my kids currently. And so, in fact, we're still in the process of adopting our middle son, Jackson. And drama upon drama upon drama has been the story of that adoption process. But never once has a thought entered my mind that he, this not so little bundle of joy, was anything other than my son. And that's me as an earthly father. That's me as, you know, a fleshly human, a sin-filled human. How much more perfect is that adoptive love for our infinite, never-ending God, our Abba Father? So how many of you know what that word means, Abba Father? Papa Papa, Daddy, yes, exactly. Abba Father is a word study in Arabic. Um, It's commonly translated to Daddy or a term used when little ones are talking to their papas. It signifies a close and intimate relationship as well as a childlike trust. Here's where the world gets it wrong. So they take that definition and then they kind of, they kind of screw it up a little bit. The world views everyone on earth, and I'm speaking in generalities here, but the world views everyone on earth as children of God. But the Bible reveals something very different as who is actually a child of God. Calling him Papa or Daddy is something only born-again Christians should be able to do. Christians that have been adopted into his family. So turn with me to John, verse 1. And we'll be in, I said verse, but I meant chapter 1, verse 12 and 13. To as many as has received him. In my Bible, that him is capitalized. And it's talking about Jesus. To them he gave the right to become children of God. To believe those who believe in his name. Who were born not of blood. Nor of the flesh. Nor of the will of man. But of God. This gives that phrase such a special meaning to me especially as an adoptive father not born of blood not born of flesh but born of god there is only one reason that i am the dad of three lovely kids and it is god it is a hundred percent god has directed my path in every step of the way when it comes to those kids and that verse speaks as a parallel directly to that when we submit our whole hearts to him we can talk to him like my boys talk to me when they need something. Um, Brady, the four-year-old, will come up and say, Daddy, I need help. Please, please you build train track with me? Or, or open, open my sippy peas? Man, when he approaches me with that sweet innocence, there's practically nothing I would not do for him. The Bible says how much more when you ask the, your Father in Heaven will do for you. 
Um, I think the Bible mentions if your child, you being an earthly father, if your child asks for bread, are you going to give him a stone? No. If your child asks for fish, are you going to give him a scorpion? No. How much more then will your father in heaven give good gifts to you? It's, it's delightful. The Bible says oh, our adoption into the kingdom didn't come without a price though. So let's skip ahead in, a little in the Romans verse. Let's go to Romans eight seventeen. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. Joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Suffering? What kind of suffering? I didn't sign up for any kind of suffering. That wasn't part of this deal. Well, Let's look a little bit more into the suffering that Christ endured so we could be adopted into the kingdom. Romans 11. So we'll start off in 16. For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root. The root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. The Bible says here, we are grafted onto the vine to enjoy the fatness and partake of all that the root has to offer. So what exactly is grafting? People in this room familiar with horticulture probably know exactly what I'm talking about. But what I want to tell you is how great of a picture it is for Christ being represented in our world. How the grafting of an actual plant correlates perfectly to the Bible. I love pictures. I use examples all of the time. So we're going to look at an actual picture. That is grafting. So in order for a plant to be grafted to another, the main plant, the plant on the left, um, has to, its side has to get pierced. So you have to cut a little bit into the plant. Then you take the new plant that you want to put on it, you put it on it. Um, when you cut it, <clears throat> once you've pierced it, some samp or the plant's blood and water comes out. You see where this is going, right? After it's been pierced, the adopted plant will get put on the exposed side, and the analogy doesn't end there. In order for that grafted plant to have the best chance the gardener will wrap it tightly to the main plant so its roots can be firmly planted in the main stem. And that's the second little step that you see there. It's got to be tied up close. It's got to be near that root, just just tightly held to that root. It's, it's fantastic. Now let's apply that to our walk with God. We are the weak and dying plant. 
On our own, we are kindling to be burned up in a lake of fire. That's another biblical foreshadowing for the next verse I'm going to read. But when we are grafted onto the stem, Jesus, through his piercing, he was piercing the side on the cross for us, and his selfless work on the cross, we are now a part of the everlasting flower. Let's look at one more picture of this in the Bible. That's going to be John 15. John 15, verse 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, He is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and burn them into the throw them into the fire, and they are burned. So much like grafting, it doesn't stop there. Nope, like the branch mentioned, it needs to be wrapped up. Repeated that one. There is nothing closer than the love of a father to his son. One of my favorite things is when the boys wake up come running into our room in the morning, hop into our bed, and just get a few minutes to hold them close and snuggle them tightly. They feel safe, they feel relaxed in my arms, and everything is peaceful and calm for a few fleeting moments. They pass very quickly. But that's what it's like to call God our Abba Father, our, our Poppy, our Daddy. He loves for us just to snuggle up in his arms and trust in him, just like the plant that's wrapped up so close to him. It's just this embrace of our Father. It's, it's amazing the picture that he has for us. When the boys decide that they're done, it's game on. But that's when the boys decide, when the boys make the decision to leave the snuggle time or the, you know, the relaxation time, that's when it's game on. That's when the rubber meets the road. The trial of the day begins. But if they would just stay there, resting in my arms forever, there would always be peace and tranquility in the house. It would never stop. Apply that to your life now. Are you resting on the everlasting arms of your heavenly daddy? Let's talk a little bit about those arms. Deuteronomy thirty-three twenty-seven. The eternal God is your refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will thrust out the enemy from before you and will say, destroy. Turn with me to the New Testament to get one more picture of this. John chapter 10, verse 29.
My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. This is Jesus speaking. My Bible has this in red. So Jesus is saying, My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I always think about the song when I read this. Uh, He's got the whole world in his hands. And he does. He's got the whole world in his hands. But he's got us closer. He's got us, us believers, us Christians, right next to him so that we can feel his love and his warmth and his embrace. And heaven forbid if the enemy tries to take us out of his hand, if we're close to the Father, if we're abiding in him, if we're exhibiting faith and humility, and Nathan talked about it a couple of weeks ago, not trying to have faith more, not trying to have more humility. I'm the most humble person there is. That's right. Nothing like that. If we're close and abiding with FNH next to God, that's when we have just the overwhelming love, and that's when God is able to just keep us in his fatherly hands. Now, I realize I am not the most formidable man. I am not a physical specimen that most people would be intimidated by. But I know, shocker, right? Look at this. It's just nothing. But you had better believe that if anyone tried to take my kids away from me or do anything to my kids, I would move heaven and earth to prevent that from happening. I would do everything in my power to make sure my kids are safe and taken care of. Just like God does when we are in his hands. Same exact concept. And again, I'm an earthly, I'm a sinner, all that stuff, but, and God is infinite. So how much more is God going to be taking care of us when we are close to him? So to recap so far, we've talked about comparing our earthly fathers to our Father in heaven. Uh, here are his nine attributes again, in case you missed it. I wanted to bring it back so you could think about them again. God will never forsake you. God will be a father to you. God is our Father, and we are his kids. God is gracious. God is gentle. God gives us good gifts. He's compassionate. He protects us. And he gives us direction, including discipline. We've talked about how we are adopted into the family of God via the grafting or the shed blood of Jesus. We're almost there. Thanks for hanging in there with me. Just one more little part. So what do we do now? How do we apply this to our lives here in Denver, Colorado in 2018 on a lovely March day? Well, first off, you've got to start with praying. That's the best way to get that F and H that we talk about every week. Pray for a better relationship with God, a relationship where you can approach him as a child with innocence and wonder and ask for what you need. My kids are not afraid to ask me for anything. Nine o'clock in the morning, either one of them can come up to me, Daddy, can I have a cookie for breakfast? They're not afraid. They know that they can ask for anything. Now, does that mean I'm going to give them everything that their heart desires? No, of course not. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to provide for them. But that's the faith that God wants us to have when we approach him with our requests. Nathan mentioned the great, the faith is small as a mustard seed. It's It's nothing. It's just subatomic how little faith he requires for us to have and how much more he's willing to give us when we just let go. Um, We praise him for the gifts that he has given us. It reminds me of a Babylon Bee article that I saw a couple weeks ago. It was uh, a climber 
um, uh, was unfortunately put into the hospital because he decided to let go and let God while climbing on the mountain. I thought that was kind of funny. But, <laughs> I know, it's a rabbit trail. But nothing warms my heart more than when my boys appreciate something I've done. I am always going to take care of them. I'm always going to feed them. I'm always going to clothe them. And I'm always going to provide for their needs. That is a given. That is what I am going to do because they are my kids and because I love them. No matter what they do, no matter how stupid of a choice they make, I will always take care of their needs. I will always provide for their needs. But man, on that rare occasion that they say thanks to you, it almost makes all the screaming, hitting, biting, and pushing disappear. Almost. Not quite. But God wants the same from us. He uses the father picture in the Bible many times so we can grasp the relationship he wants with us. A relationship of tender love. The only thing he demands of us is faith and humility. To keep the picture of my kids going, they cannot add anything to my life. Anything they do, none of their works are anything better than I could do by myself. But when they are humble, sweet little creatures, that enhances my love. And when they demonstrate faith, faith that their daddy can do it, can do anything. Faith that daddy can open the sippy cup. Faith that daddy can fix the train. I probably can't, but they believe that I can, and that's the important part. (laughs) Blind faith that daddy is amazing and can fix the train track, unscrew the sippy lid, or anything like that. That feeling that stirs in me is surreal. When they just... I can't even put it into words. Just the immense pride, for lack of a better word, that that puts in you as a father. It's it's glorious. And I know that that's the exact same thing that God is trying to picture there. When we come to him and and just ask him and talk to him like our Abba, Father, Lord, Jesus, Daddy, please just help me here. I need you. I am unable to do this by myself. That's when God's like, I got you, dude. I got you. Don't even worry. So I leave you with this final thought. Approach God as a little child approaching their papa. No preconceived notions, nor forethought, just absolute faith that he can do it and humility to let him do it. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you. We thank you for just the word that you had today, I pray, Lord, that it can be a, just a time of, as we, we close in a song, Lord, that our time can just be filled with thinking about you as our father, thinking about you as our, as our, as our daddy, as our, as our papa, that it can just be a time where we're pouring out our hearts to you, giving you all that we have, just helping us to look to you, Lord, for, for the coming week that our that our love for you can grow evermore. Lord, your love for us cannot grow. It's infinite already. And I just pray that it can, our love for you can continue to be made manifest through faith and humility. Lord, I pray this all in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.